You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. I am your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today I have Natalia Stasenko, and Natalia, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Uh, but Natalia is a feeding uh, specialist. She has a website called Feeding Bites and helps parents really discover how to help our children eat healthy and, uh, you know, diversify our food and and kind of get rid of this picky eater uh, syndrome that we have sometimes and such and really helps us navigate through all of that. So Natalia, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Absolutely, Jeanne-Marie. Thank you for having me. Yes, and I will say Natalia is in the UK, is that correct? Yes, I am for five years now. Five years, well. And uh, so Natalia, I always like to start with the simple question of how do you define the art of parenting? Well, to me, the art of parenting is to be attuned and responsive to our children. I have three children myself, and I can appreciate how different they are and how my parenting also has to be versatile to meet their needs um, so that I can raise them in a way that is best for, for them. So to me, the art of parenting is being really, really hyper, hyper attuned and to our kids and trying to get to know them as much as we can as parents. Yes. And, and I love what you say because it's, you know, three, you, I'm sure you have three very, very different uh, personalities, right? Absolutely. And so we need to be attuned to those different ones and how they make us react and, and all of that. So, yes. So Natalia, I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you are doing now with parents and children around the world. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I became a nutrition when I was um, a child, but uh, it took me a while to actually become a dietitian. It is my second career. Um, My first degree is um, languages and literature. And when I had my first child, I decided to dive deep into nutrition finally. And um, so I changed my careers. And as I was studying to become a registered dietitian, my first child, I think she was about two or three, and she just entered this extremely challenging um, 
phase of um, picky eating, how we call it. And this piqued my interest in pediatric nutrition or how we should be feeding our children. Because, of course, I knew about all the benefits of perfect nutrition. I knew what she was supposed to be eating, but I really had no idea how to make it happen. And I have to say that she uh, was one, she was the most challenging eater out of my three children. So she taught me a lot. And this is how it all started. So when I graduated from the university and became a registered dietitian, I knew that I wanted to specialize in feeding problems in children. She just created this path for me. And uh, since then, um, I never looked back, actually. We live in this fantastic time now when there's so much research coming out on responsive feeding strategies, something that I teach on my website and something that I talk to parents about all the time. So there's so much research coming out in this field and we really see the benefits of responsive feeding strategies everywhere from uh, managing feeding problems to obesity prevention. It's really, it can be applied to any area of um, feeding children. And that's really inspiring. So I consider myself lucky to have entered the field in such exciting time. Yes, and, and we thank your daughter for, for leading you on that path. <laughs> uh, yes, I just, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, and I just love it because so many of my guests, you know, when I ask this question of, about their journey, oftentimes, and, and I can say this for myself, it's our children who kind of, you know, forge a new path. Like we, we, we discover something new when, when they come into our lives. So yeah. that's, that's, that's beautiful. So I would love, you, you said you used a, a phrase, responsive feeding strategies. Um, I would love if you could explain that because personally, I do not know um, what that is. And, and I'm sure some of my listeners would be interested in, in knowing what that means. Well, responsive feeding strategies actually is probably very similar to the definition of the art of parenting that I um, that I mentioned at the beginning of our talk today. It's being very attuned to our children, understanding their individual needs and responding to them accordingly so that they they are predictable. Um, they they expect those predictable responses from us every time the, a certain behavior occurs. And what it actually does, it creates this wonderful and harmonic relationship between the parent and the child. The definition of responsive feeding itself originated uh, maybe 50 years ago and used to be relevant only for the breastfeeding phase of feeding children. But in the last couple of decades, it spread throughout the rest of the ages and stages. So now when we say responsive feeding, we actually know that we can apply this principle to feeding children of all ages. So I understand it for, you know, for the, the breastfeeding or, or bottle feeding where you have an infant who is, who, you know, is letting us know that they are hungry. So we are responding to them. How does that translate for an older child who is you know eating solids and yeah i i'm not quite understanding how yeah. that how that's working well us being attuned parents um when okay. a child enters the phase of eating solids or the toddlerhood we are 
we try to understand their specific needs that apply to this period. For example, um, when they start eating solids, we understand that this is the time to implement more structure in their feeding opportunities. So we structure the feeding in a way that there are eating versus non-eating times. There's more defined meal and snack times that become even more, um, more concrete, I should say, when kids turn one, one and a half years of age. And kids understand that there are certain limits within this feeding relationship. Ultimately, they understand that there are times where the parent serves the food on the table, and these are the times when it's time for, for, for everybody to come to the table and enjoy their meal. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the parent gives the child this opportunity to come to the table, to enjoy the meal, and uh, also trust them to uh, be able to self-regulate how much food they need to eat on every given meal um, and allows them to eat as much as they want. And sometimes that means skipping the meal, which also another kind of throwback to understanding the developmental stage this child is in, because it's some, for some ages, skipping meals is fairly typical. And the parent, by being responsive to the child in this feeding situation and being attuned to the child, will allow them to self-regulate and skip the meal if they need to. Beautiful. And and that, I mean, that is music to my ear because I know that is just intuitively what I have done, but also how I help parents, you know, who struggle with the, the meal time because I get a lot of that of, you know, my child won't stay at the table or they don't want to eat. And, and I say, you know, trust your child to know what their body is asking for, right? Like yes. ch- children are very wise in knowing what they need. And, and some meals might be only proteins and other meals might be only fruit, but that's okay because that's what their body needs. Exactly. I just yeah. wanted to add that responsive feeding is actually, is this beautiful dance between establishing the limits and mm-hmm. allowing the kids to explore within those limits. It's like any area of parenting, really. I'm sure as a parenting expert, you know that this is our job as parents, establish the limits, the safe limits, and allow the children to explore and be creative and self-regulate in different ways, right? Within right. those limits. And so this is what we apply when we apply this to feeding we get the responsive feeding approach. The parents establish the limits in terms of the structure and the selection of food, and the children are allowed to explore the food and the appetite within those limits. Right. And and when you say, like, could you um, maybe maybe describe a what you would call, you know, a limit or maybe how you do it at home? Uh, what are those those boundaries and those limits around feeding? So um, one example of um, a situation where I need to establish limits is, for example, when my five-year-old, my youngest is five, um, asks me for a snack, something like a um, granola bar or fruit or a glass of juice 30 minutes before dinner. We have dinner at 6 p.m. And if she comes into the kitchen and she asks me for a snack at this time, I 
have to set the limit as a parent in order to help her understand the concept of the snack time and the meal time. I have to establish this limit and uh, in order for her to be able to appreciate the rules that we have around eating in the house. At the same time, being a responsive parent, I sit and think, okay, this is the third time this week she came in into the kitchen at 5.30 and she asked me for a snack before dinner time. So um, what is going on here? When I'm right there on this spot, when she's asking me for a snack 30 minutes before dinner, I most likely will not give her any because we have to wait for dinner time in order to sit down and eat. But um, I will also think about it later on. If it has been happening regularly, what is going on there? I will try to be responsive in a way of understanding what is going on, why she gets consistently gets hungry at this time of the day right before dinner. Maybe she needs a bigger after-school snack. Maybe um, I need to think about moving dinner a little bit closer. Maybe um, there is something else going on. Maybe it's not the food that she wants. Maybe she just needs my attention. Maybe I haven't spent enough one-on-one -on -one time with her when she came back from school and asking for food. It's just her way of getting my attention. So I'm being responsive by establishing these limits and also kind of thinking about all the possible scenarios and trying to really understand my child. I love that because to me it it also resonates with you know what I what I say a lot about observing our children like seeing what they're struggling with or what 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 is you know too easy for them or or such and here you're you're observing kind of the 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 flow of the day you know and maybe maybe it's just a glass of water she needs or who knows yeah, but yeah exactly. it's it's yeah I love that it's just being like you say being attuned and trying to understand that it's not you know her uh just you know being like annoying or or anything it's there's something really going on and we need to figure out what that is yeah, a lot of times it's not about food at all, I have to say. Right, yeah. Feeding problems that parents experience with their children very often are not about food, but about other unmet needs of the other children. Well, you said it, you said it, you know, beautifully. It's, it's I, she wants my attention. I mean, oftentimes the power struggles we get with food is all about just needing connection um, for, you know, in the first place. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Now for snack, do you have a kind of a self-serve snack for your children? You said your your youngest is five, so she could easily, you know, get herself a snack. Do you have a time of day where things are out and available for them or um, they they are asking you or how, how does that work in your home? Yeah. So um it changes as children get older. So first I will describe how I'm doing it for my five-year-old and then I'll move on to share how I'm doing it with my 12 and 14-year-old because that's a little bit different. So the five-year-old um, is not allowed to um, grab things from the cupboard just because she doesn't have the nutritional knowledge um, 
and she's not able to create a balanced meal or snack for herself yet. So the rule is that um, there are certain times during the day when we are sitting down to have a snack, typically in the afternoon, that happens when she comes back from school. So we're sitting down, we're having a snack. I have this whole blog posts on my website about snack being mini meals. I really try to use snacks as an opportunity to boost nutrition rather than, you know, eat just some snacky foods. Nothing wrong with snacky foods, but I always recommend to include at least two food groups. Kind of look at the things that your child may be missing from their diet, something that they are struggling to get during meals and try to serve them at snacks. So maybe some vegetables, raw fruit, or, you know, cooked fruit, whatever you um, think that your child needs a boost off and plan a balanced snack with two or three food groups. So that's the general rule. And that's what she gets when she um, comes home from school. Um, she really is not supposed to be going to cupboard or going to the fridge and getting stuff from there. She used to really try to do this before. Um, a couple of years ago when she was three and she was really in this independent um, independent driven, dependence driven phase when she really wanted to do everything by herself and it was all about her being super independent. So we had to, we had a few days, I should say, of trying to be really strict about those limits. But at this point, I think we appreciate the benefits of everything that we've done because she, um, she knows that she's supposed to be sitting at the table and the snack is served on the table. We don't um, usually eat snacks in the living room on a go, you know, um, supposed to be specific place and specific, um, um, time. Beautiful. Now, um, my 12 and 14 year olds are older, so they already know what a balanced snack is. And they, they are at this age when they can, they're out and about a lot. They go with friends to, I don't know, shopping malls and, you know, <laughs> cafes. So I, I, cannot, I, can, I cannot have the same control over what they're eating. So I trust them more to plan their own balanced snack. They know that they're not supposed to be um, having a snack too late, too close to dinner. So their snacking times are still clearly defined. They know that um, they cannot have a snack closer than an hour and a half for dinner so they always actually they still ask me if it's okay for me to have this and that just to make sure that the timing is okay so they're not eating too close to dinner so they have they they, they still remember <laughs> they still know that they have to ask me to make sure that the timing is okay but they they are allowed to go and get their own you know whatever it is they want, piece of bread with some peanut butter, something else. Mm -hmm. When they are at home, when my five-year-old has a snack, they typically share it with her, but sometimes they come home later, so they, they need to kind of figure out what they're having um, themselves. And it works great, I think. It works great because sometimes they like to try something new, so we add it to the shopping list, and then um, it just it, it seems very stress-free and relaxed. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And do do your um do you cook with your children? Like, are, are they part of? Because you just said like, if they want to try something new, put it on the shopping list. Are they involved with kind of the choosing and the the preparation of food? Yeah, yeah, of course, yes. Um, not all of them are 
passionate about cooking, I have to say. Um, two of them are, and one of them just has different kind of interests. But two, two of them are quite involved, and um, they are at this age where they can cook dinner for me, at least one of them. So oh, that's it's, beautiful. it's actually yeah. quite nice when we arrive to this stage when children can be more independent but I also have to say about cooking it's a it's a wonderful opportunity to um wonderful bonding activity with for for parents and children clearly it teaches children so many different skills and also provides a lot of sensory experiences which are really important when we teach children to eat to eat a variety of food and then there is math and science and everything everything happens when we cook together but um when i speak to parents about cooking i always try to emphasize how it should be an agenda-free activity it's so easy um to get caught up in this idea that oh if they're cooking this with me then they're supposed to eat it or they will at least try it not necessarily it may mm-hmm. take many, many, many exposures before they finally want to try it. But still, cooking has so many benefits. So even if your child um, doesn't try anything that you cook together, continue doing it as far as they want to do it. It will definitely pay off maybe years from now. Right, right. And it does. I mean, I, I think it does help when we really involve them in choosing the ingredients. You know, I like to go to the market and say oh what is this should we try it and look up a recipe because there I think it's you know like you say it's exposing them to diversity and they they might be I think more inclined to try it if they've had their hands in the making of it all yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 yeah, perfect perfect so in, in your work with, um, because you say your eldest is 14, so you have been, you know, really doing this work for, for that long. And have you found any kind of change in our attitude around food? Have you, have you encountered like issues that are coming up more frequently? Like what has, what have you found in your years of doing this work with parents that has either changed or maybe enhanced. Do you ever feel like you're doing this parenting thing alone, tired of searching the web for answers to all your parenting questions? Well, I've got you covered. You and I know it does take a village to raise a child, and I'd like to invite you to yours. Be the calm, confident, and peaceful parent you want to be with the support of my parenting membership community. Get all the support you deserve and create the family and home you've been dreaming of. In my parenting community, I share all the tools and strategies I've acquired over my many years of mentoring and helping families find their peace of mind and enjoy a stress-free family life. I've created this community for you to be the parent you want to be. Let go of the stress and overwhelm today and enjoy your parenting journey with your beautiful children. You both deserve it. In this community, you will find video tutorials that answer your parenting concerns and teach you how to support your child's healthy development. Monthly group coaching calls with me and all the other supportive members where I personally answer all your burning parenting questions. My parenting toolkit, which is full of resources that I've created over my many years of mentoring and speaking to parents and professionals worldwide. 
And what I love most about my parenting membership community is the amazing supportive village you can lean on. You and I know parenting was never meant to be done alone. So come meet your tribe in the supportive and encouraging village of like-minded parents. It's open 24 hours, 7, just for you. Visit voilamontessori.com slash membership for more information and come join me today to become the parent you know you are meant to be. Yeah, definitely. Many things changed. As I said, we live in such exciting time when the idea of feeding children responsibly and being attuned and being better parents is just out there and everybody's trying to do better. Um, well, the interesting thing I've observed is that um, the division of responsibility in feeding, which is a formula and that has been coined by um, registered dietitian Alan Sutter, and that basically outlines the principles of responsive feeding. I will, I will share what, what the formula is about. The formula defines the roles of the parent and the roles of the child. According to this formula, the parents are responsible for what, when, and where to feed the child, basically what I described a few minutes ago. So we set certain limits around eating times and the menu and where the children are eating. At the same time, children are responsible for how much or whether they want to eat. Again, we are giving them this opportunity to um, explore those limits and exercise their freedom, if you will. So this formula was pretty much very unknown, very, very niche kind of concept when I was just starting out. When I first heard it, going through all this um, feeding um, problem with my first child, I, I just didn't believe it could work because there was no information on the responsive feeding strategies out there. And I just didn't, didn't, I didn't know whether I could trust my child or not. So now I have parents who come to me and just basically describe this formula back to me and ask me to teach them to apply it to their situation. So the information is out there, which is fantastic, which is probably the benefit of having internet and face things like Facebook groups and communities where parents chat and share different ideas. So this is fantastic. So the idea is out there. Now, um, Parents probably need more help in how to implement it and apply it to their specific situation, which is something that I and so many different dietitians are doing now. When I was starting, I was one of the few. And now we have an army of dietitians and other feeding professionals who are trying to spread the message. So that's the positive change I've seen. And the negative or the more concerning um, change I see is because, again, due to the um, widespread use of the internet and the Facebook groups and parent communities, is that parents have this opportunity to compare their child to what other ch children are doing. And I see it a lot when they're starting solids and there's this whole baby-led weaning approach versus the traditional puree approach. And um, parents start worrying that their child is behind because they're not eating finger foods by the age of seven months. And so there's a lot of comparison going on and parents are just worried why my child is not eating vegetables when all these kids on the internet I saw yesterday are eating their broccoli. And that can also create this kind of misperception of what normal um, 
eating is in small children because well as humans we tend to share mostly positive things on the internet at least about our children and about our families we don't share how our child i don't know threw carrots on the floor yesterday but if they ate broccoli we are more likely to share it on the internet or with our friends and that's how parents should become more worried and as a result of this concern they may start applying the more control-based strategies at mealtimes and this is not the responsive way to feed children anything that has an agenda behind it will be a control-based approach and this really undermines kids' ability to self-regulate and their curiosity about food and basically um, transforms the mealtimes from being a peaceful and positive experience for everybody to something, you know, that is full of stress, full of pressure and full of anxiety, both for the parent and the child. Yes, that's beautiful. And, and it's true. You know, it's so much about just trusting the process and, and trusting that your child knows best and and I like when you when you're talking about the you know the division of responsibility our 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 responsibility as the adult is to just you know select nutritious food and trust that the child will eat what they need so beautiful and it's true I mean for me I you know I always share this story of how as a child mealtime was quite stressful my my mother was concerned that I wasn't eating enough um, and I think as a as a young child I just was not interested in food <clears throat> and uh and so it became you know this this anxiety driven time of day when and and I've made up for that because I I eat well and and all of that but uh at the time and I remember just promising myself that I would not do that to my children so you know really I think we just evolve as parents as well right we don't want to repeat what was done yeah such a common story yes that happens a lot yeah I mean it it was you know I, I was left alone because you know I couldn't get up until everything on my plate was done and and I just, I wasn't hungry. I just didn't want to eat. So oh. so you, you intuitively know. chose the responsive feeding strategy for your children just because you didn't want to <laughs> completely yeah. feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I just, I, I promised myself that I would never, you know, tell these stories of, you know, you have to finish everything on your plate. There's, I remember these arguments of, you know, there were starving children in the world. And I was like, why, why? Am I responsible? I don't know. It just, it didn't make sense to me as a child. And I remember, you know, thinking like, this is, I'm not, I'm not doing this to my children. <laughs> and, and I know, you know, I know, I know my mother had, you know, the, the, the most loving intentions and she was just anxious that I wasn't gaining weight or, or whatever at the time. But it's just, you know, it's funny how we, we internalize that and it did, it did become a stressful time. Yeah. And on top of it, the parents nowadays are exposed to all these scary myths on the internet about the danger of carbs or the evils of gluten and mm-hmm. how children are not getting enough of this and that. And um, the nutritional information is out there. It's abundant. It's not structured. A lot of the sources are not trustworthy, but it's out there. It's just everywhere. And that's another factor that adds a lot of anxiety to what parents are thinking about their child's eating and obviously is not making the situation better. So I'm always trying to be very laser focused on the specific nutrients 
that the child may be not getting enough of if their eating is not optimal. But um, even the research shows that the children who are considered to be typical picky eaters, those who go through this developmentally appropriate picky eating stage between two and five, they typically get all their nutrients, all the nutrients they need. There is a smaller group of children who are extremely selective eaters and they need more of a multidisciplinary approach and um, they may have specific sensory needs, motor or a motor um, skill improvement and they're the ones that um, may need maybe more work with supplementation or maybe figuring out how to boost certain food groups but um, most children um, do get meet their do meet their nutrient needs even if their eating seems a little bit um, limited Right, right. And I like the term that you use, selective eaters, because for some reason, picky eaters is, is sounds oh, negative to me. Like it sounds oh, like, it does. you know, it sounds so like I, it's a child's choice to be picky, but it's never their choice. We yeah, don't like yeah. using this term. We talk about it with my colleagues all the time, but it's something that parents relate to. So we just keep yeah. using it. But um, there are other better terms like avoidant eating or selective eating, which seem just fairer. <laughs> Right, right. Because I mean, as an adult, you know, I will say I can be a picky eater. You know, the other night I went out to a restaurant with some friends and my husband ordered a uh, beet salad with blue cheese. Two things that I really have no desire to eat. And, And she said, oh, well, you don't like it. And it's like, no, that's just I'm choosing. That's, you know, that's not a taste that I that I, you know, look forward to. If that's all I had, I would eat it, but I'm going to be selective on what I, you know, what I, what I eat. (laughs) So, so the child is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one thing I'm, I'm interested to know is how, when you, when you have a young child and, you know, maybe they're being selective or such, but when do you know that there is a definite, like, issue of maybe an allergy or sensitivity to a food group because we do hear you know about gluten-free diets and all of this nowadays is that something to be aware of and 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 you know when you talk about being a responsive parent and a tuned parent like are there signs that parents should uh kind of pay attention to to know that their child does have, you know, a, a, a physical aversion to, to certain foods and, and how to kind of detect that. Yeah. Well, there are different reasons why children may have physical aversion to foods, starting from texture to um, some kind of oral sensitivity and um, to, to food allergy. So there's different ways a child, different reasons why a child may be rejecting the food. And very often with this smaller group of selective eaters, this is what we see, the food makes them feel bad for some reason, so they may be rejecting this food. And even if if it's not something that is harming them in the long term, like sensory hypersensitivity, when they are very sensitive to certain textures, they may be rejecting the food because it doesn't it it makes them uncomfortable. Or if there is an or a motor delay of some sort and their chewing hasn't developed properly, it just they cannot um, manage this food they cannot move it in the mouth properly and in the end you know it's not the kind of food that they will choose to eat when they're offered it 
And then moving on to things like um, oral, um, oral food allergy syndrome, when certain foods make our mouth each small percentage of children and adults may develop that. It's related to seasonal allergies as well. And then the gastrointestinal symptoms like, you know, being constipated or when certain food makes their tummy hurt. I actually encourage parents to just keep um, a record of everything that is happening. And uh, when I work with parents, um, whether myself, by myself or with my colleagues, we always ask them to keep a food record not only of what the child is eating, but also of what is offered to them and um, just just write down everything that the child is experiencing from what they see, everything that the parents are experiencing. And then after we look at it, um, we usually are able to identify what what they need to do. And if we see that there is something that may require attention of the feeding of the health specialist, we always encourage parents to go talk to the doctor, get the referral, trust their intuition. If they feel that there is something going on, always get it checked out. So I don't encourage parents to go online and Google symptoms. If you feel like there is something, something makes their child uncomfortable, always have it checked by your doctor, get a referral to see a specialist. Don't go online to Google the symptoms. Take everything that you know, take your notes, and go to see your doctor. That should be really the first step. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember it's very when you were when you were talking about that. I remember specifically when my daughter, so my firstborn, uh, was starting solid, and you know, not knowing anything about uh, feeding or whatever. I thought, oh, you know, spinach, spinach is 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 healthy, and you know, you always hear spinach is good for you. Uh, I fed her some spinach, I think some spinach puree. And, you know, she had an aversion to it where she was, she was crying afterwards and such and okay, whatever. And then I did it a second time and same thing. And I called my pediatrician and said, what's going on? And she just said, well, there's, you know, an aversion, wait until she's two and you'll try it again then. And that was it. And, and she can eat spinach fine now, but it's, you know, I was just attuned. I just noticed that, oh my gosh, this specific food is making her react a a certain way. So, yeah. um, yeah. So the best way definitely is just to keep a record, keep your notes and just Mm -hmm. follow up with a health professional. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, this has been very informative. I'm, I'm so glad that we had this conversation and I would love to um, just end with a more personal question. And that is you, you mentioned that your eldest is 14. So if you were to go back, let's say 15 years ago when you were expecting um, I'm assuming her, is it your daughter? I have only girls. (laughs) Oh, you have three girls. Okay. (laughs) So when you were expecting your first daughter 15 years ago, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? Yes. Wow, this is a big one. Oh, my goodness. I would just tell myself to um, think about long term. It's Mm. actually something that I share with parents a lot. Um, It's so, so easy to become worried about what the child is eating today or how the child behaves today or what the child does today. But I 
honestly believe that everything we do as parents regarding to feeding or other areas of parenting is just about um, placing those blocks one at a time and setting up this foundation that helps them to function in the optimal way for the rest of their lives. And when it comes to meals, again, it's about, it's not about looking at what the child has or hasn't eaten today. It's about how my child feels about eating. How do I feel about feeding my child? Am I confident in my feeding skill, skills? Is my child happy at the table? Are they exploring food? Are they taking bites, spitting it out if they don't like? Are they competent, confident, comfortable eaters? I wouldn't worry about the number of spoons they're eating, which I know a lot of parents do, and especially when they're studying solids. I would look at about uh, I would look at how meal times are in general. Are they positive? Are you having fun? Is the child having fun? And so this is the kind of thing things I would have told myself because I think I made a bunch of mistakes with my first one when we encountered this feeding challenge just because I didn't know any better. So I wish I could go back and redo all of that. But I'm also grateful for having this opportunity to share everything that I know with so many parents nowadays. So I think it's a real gift and uh, consider myself really lucky to be able to do all of that with so many parents around the world. Yes, definitely. And and we're lucky to have you sharing all of this uh, information because I know it is very val- valuable to parents. So thank you thank so you. much for, for your time today and, and sharing all of this. I will put all the links of um, the, the blog that you mentioned and such in the show notes as well. So thank Fantastic. you, Natalia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.